0: Okay. So yeah, if you, ha- if you can find it on your iPhone or iPad or whatever, or if you are old-fashioned and you brought one of these to church, you can find it there too. Luke 14, tw- the first 24 verses. So this word invite is the key word in these verses, 11 times it's used. And according to one dictionary, this word means this. I think I have a slide. To uh, speak to another in order to bring him nearer, either physically or in a personal relationship. So this word, in, uh, uh, invite, is about, invi- this passage is about invita- invitations, it's a passage about relationships. It used to be that when you were invited to something, like a wedding or some event, you would usually know the person who invited you, but now we all kind of get a lot of evites, don't we? I got one the other day uh, to attend a function that I knew nothing about in a place I, and pe- with people I, I, I didn't know, they assumed I had something to give them, that's why they invited me, it was a marketing ploy to this, invita- to this uh, event. I have no intention of going. And in this passage, Jesus is going to warn people about sending invitations only to those who have something to give them. So don't invite those that you just want to target for relationship or who can give you some kind of satisfaction in some way in return, either uh, business or emotional satisfaction. That's one of the main points he'll make in this passage. Well, in a moment, we're going to look at and see that these 24 verses, there's a story and a parable and, and a teaching. But before we get there, I want to just tell you right at the outset, the main point of this passage. So it's in verse 11, and it is, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, you have a slide here, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. That's the key point. Last time I was here, I spoke from Luke 19, and at that time I mentioned that Luke 9 to 19 is the passage about Jesus' journey to Jerusalem. So in Luke 9, he sets his face to go to Jerusalem. In Luke 19, he gets there. And so those 10 chapters, 9 to 19, are sort of like a discipleship training manual. Eugene Peterson has written a book about those, uh, those, that passage, and it's called Following Jesus on the Way. So in, throughout that teaching, Jesus is shaping his disciples on the way to Jerusalem. One of his favorite teaching topics is humility. Jesus taught a lot about humility. In Matthew 5, 1, he said that only the humble can actually get into the kingdom. The first requirement is humility. Uh, Jesus said that the humble are the only people God will listen to because he's he's opposed to the proud. Jesus said that humility is actually the very first requirement for leadership. So humility is absolutely key to Jesus' teaching. It's a reflection of God himself. There's no way to be a follower of Christ without... Cultivating a humble spirit. He teaches so much about humility because pride, the greatest of sins, is so clearly pervasive in our lives. Just read the newspaper on any given day. Look for marks of human pride. You'll see it in the business section as companies seek to be number one. You'll see it in the sports section in the bravado of athletes. You'll see it in the entertainment section in the vanity of people who are in that section. But most clearly, if we examine our attitudes, our own attitudes and actions on any given day, we'll see pride most clearly. Why did I get so bugged with my wife when she thought my idea was stupid? Why did I feel so annoyed when that person couldn't understand my Chinese? Why do I tend to look down on certain people, assume that they, even before they speak, what's going to come out of their mouths is a dumb idea? Where do these feelings of contempt come from? Pride is so pervasive to the human condition, so much a part of our lives, that Jesus had to teach often about humility. Of course, his greatest teaching is actually through what he did. Even though he put this whole thing in motion, this whole universe in motion, we owe our very existence to him. He allowed us to abuse him, to hang him on a cross, so he could teach us the very basic thing about the human condition, teach us about our sin, but so that he could build on this community, on on his death, this community. It would be the very foundation of the church. So we, the church, are built on the foundation of Jesus the crucified. We abide in the humility of the crucified one. So in this chapter, Luke 14, especially verses 7 uh, 7 to 14, right in the middle, Jesus is going to teach about humility. And he's going to teach it in the context of, send, of giving and receiving invitations. So we'll look at this section in three parts. First, the human background in verses 1 to 6. And then there's heaven's background, in, which is a parable, verses 15 to 24. And We're focused mainly on the middle part, Jesus' teaching, verses 7 to 14. So let's look at the human background first. Verses 1 to 6. Did we have a scripture here, Josh, for this? Yes, okay. So one Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man there who had dropsy. Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, is it lawful to eat or to heal on the Sabbath or not? Next slide. Okay, I'll just read it from my Bible then, but it's a different version. Oh, there we go. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away, and he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. This is the first background to the story, the human background. Jesus is invited to the home of a prominent Pharisee after the synagogue service, much like we would go for lunch after the church service. The service is over, now it's time to meet together and complain about everything that happened at church. This is a prominent Pharisee, a ruler of the Pharisees, it's called. They had invited, he had invited Jesus for lunch, and we'd think that Jesus would be flattered by such an invitation. The, the ruler of the Pharisees invited him. In Hong Kong, I teach English on Saturdays to some people from, from the mainland who were uh, studying at a university in Hong Kong. And last Saturday, I told them I'd be in Beijing this week because Xi Jinping invited me to his house for lunch. And uh, they all laughed about that, and a few of them told me to pass on their greetings to, to Chairman Xi. But wouldn't I be flattered if Chairman Xi actually did invite me to his home for lunch? Maybe I'd be afraid. Um, but strangely, we don't get the idea that Jesus is the least bit flattered with this invitation from the ruler of the Pharisees. See, at the Pharisees' dinner, there was a man there who shouldn't have been, one without an invitation, and he had dropsy. It causes the swelling of the body. Now, other than the one blemish at this dinner party, it's a respectable church-going bunch. The guests all assume their place. The seats are ranked according to the ranking of people, how important they are socially. The man with dropsy wasn't even invited, so he didn't have a seat. And then Jesus, at this party, commits the social gaffe of paying attention to the guy who shouldn't be there. We don't know why he's there. Was he planted there by the Pharisees to see if Jesus would heal on the Sabbath? And if he did, then he truly was not part of their team. Or did the guy just show up because he thought Jesus could heal him? We don't know why he's there, but we see Jesus paying attention to him. And he asked that question, if your son or your animal falls into a pit on the Sabbath day, would you not help him out? And they can't answer him a question. But the human, or answer that question, but the human background to this story is this, this uh, this this very respectable party where people care more about their animals than about sick people, people care more about what the Bible says in their minds than a person's well-being. That's the human background. At the end of this passage is heaven's background, verses 15 to 24. So we'll read that. Heaven's background is a parable. When those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, one of those said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I bought a field, I must go and see it, please have me excused. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I need to examine them, please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife, therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. The master of the house became angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you've commanded has been done, and there's still more room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled, for I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. So this is heaven's background to this party. It's about the party that heaven is throwing. It's, bit, it's different than the party at the Pharisee's house. You see, when heaven throws a party, everybody's invited. Now, most of the invitees, a lot of the invitees refuse to come. They all have what they think are good excuses, but basically they don't think this party is going to benefit them, so they don't come. But heaven insists on having a full house for the party. There's lots of room. So the invitations go out to everyone imaginable, the lame, the blind, people who normally are not invited to a party. So that Pharisee's party and the human background was cold, exclusive. Heaven's party was open and expansive, maybe even a little raucous. In between the human background and heaven's background is this teaching from Jesus, and he's going to show us that the path to get there is through humility. The path to move from human exclusiveness and coldness into heaven's expansiveness and joy, and to really do the work of the kingdom is through humility. It's by giving and receiving invitations that will reveal our level of humility, how to act first as a host in, seven to 11, our guest in seven to 11, and as a host in verses 12 to 14 so let's go to that middle part in his teaching Jesus will address first the guests and then the host verses 7 to 11 he addresses the guests now he told a parable to those who were invited and when they noticed how they chose the places of honor saying to them when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast do not sit down in the place of honor lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him And he who invited you will come come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you'll begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher, and then you'll be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. Verse 11, the key to the passage, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself Will be exalted. So Jesus notices the guests at this party, the Pharisee, through clamoring for the important positions, and he gives them a basic rule of thumb for how to be a guest take the lowest place. It's our basic response to the invitation. The way to respond to the invitation is through humility. I know some people, when they go to a function, think that, as a guest, that it's all about them. It doesn't really start till they get there, <laughs> that their presence revolves, the function revolves around their presence. Some people like to come a little bit late so everyone can notice them when they come in, make an entrance. And Jesus says, no, it is the host's party. The host invites people, and he assigns seats. The primary invitation we receive in life is that parable, the final parable of the kingdom that Jesus told, the invitation to God's party. How we respond to that invitation will impact every other part of our lives. And in God's kingdom, he initiates this big party and decides who will sit where. In the kingdom of God, we don't say, I want to sit wherever I want and do whatever I want. In the kingdom of God, in the feast that he has laid out for us, for me, I take the portion assigned to me, In the place that he assigns me. There's a term in theology called prevenient grace, a theological term. It basically means that God has planned a party, God has set the table, and God has sent out invitations. This is prevenient grace. That parable at the end is about prevenient grace. And how do I respond to the invitation? Like in that parable, some people respond with an excuse for their absence But everyone is responding some way to God's invitations. Some say no. Some might want to show up in church and think that's enough. Some say they have better things to do. I think rather than respond to or deal with prevenient grace, this grace that's given to us that we have to respond to, we adapt it to convenient grace. Grace on my own terms. The type of grace that makes me the initiator that I can respond to God however I want, whenever I want. Convenient grace puts me in the driver's seat. Prevenient grace recognizes that apart from God's initiative, God coming to seek me and giving me whatever I have, there really is no grace and there is no party. Like Rick said this morning, Jesus even gives us the strength to sin. It all comes from him. The invitation is grace passed from one to another. The invitation to come and enjoy something that the initiator has to offer. Jesus talks to the guest before he talks to the host. In a moment, he's going to talk to the host. But he first talks to the guest. In God's design of things, we can't be hosts before we've learned to be guests. That's the really important part of the the way this, this teaching goes. As hosts, if we ever get a chance to host something, we really are just passing on Grace. And we can't do that until we've had a chance to receive it. So I can't give out something in the name of Jesus if, unless I first realized I've received it first from Jesus. Part of the problem in our Christian lives is we often try to be hosts without being guests. And we confuse those roles. And we forget that my role in life is to receive and enjoy And when we confuse that, I become proud. I start doing things that the host should be doing. I take on God's burdens. I fail to humble myself before him. I think that the fate of the world hinges on me fulfilling my destiny. I become responsible for everyone else's problems. And in this, I make myself more important than the host. By thinking I can do his work, we put ourselves in the highest place at the banquet. God invites us to his banquet to take the place that he's assigned for us, to be completely humbled by his lavish grace, giving us far more than we deserve, far more than we could ask or imagine. He wants us to simply enjoy him, to glorify him, and enjoy him forever. So we're guests at the table of life that God has given. We're eating what he gives us, taking his grace in many forms even if that grace that sometimes seems a little bitter we're guests then Jesus turns his attention in verses 12 to 14 to the host and look what he says to the host in these verses got it there verses 12 to 14 And he said to the one who invited him, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the the lame, and the blind. And you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Now he turns his attention to the host, the person who's dealing with the grace he's received. The host's main responsibility is to pass on the grace that God has given him. And so what Jesus says to the host is don't invite all the people that you love the most because they're just going to invite you for a dinner the next time. No, invite people who will never be invited to a meal, people who have absolutely nothing to give back to you, people who really need to be shown the grace of God. Invite them. Can you see the outworking of humility here? if the, fo- the host has first received from God the grace of God, truly understands that everything he has is from God, then he has the, possesses the humility to be hospitable with the grace that he received. We're truly humbled by God. I never imagined then that what I possess is a product of my superior IQ, my incredible discernment, my strong work ethic, but it's from from the hand of God. And I prove my humility through my hospitality. And in this case, humility is shown by the kinds of people that the host will invite to his party. And unfortunately for the Pharisee, his guest list revealed his own pride. He invited only his friends, only people who could repay him with emotional or material satisfaction. He's putting on a lunch for himself. So he can get something out of it. If we've been humbled as a guest at God's party, we'll take our our own party planning cues from that host. Have you, like me, realized that your biggest problem in life is not your spouse, your job, your church, or your body type? Your biggest problem in life is your own pride. Pride. I can remember when I was 18 years old and the lights went on for me for the first time, I was standing in the backyard of my parents' house in Canada, looking up into the night sky all by myself, and I realized at that moment every motivation, every thought was all about putting me at the center of the universe. Pride was my biggest problem. From that moment, it wasn't until then I saw so clearly that the biggest enemy of my life is my own pride. Every fiber of my being bathed in pride, cultivated through eighteen years of life, and cultivated even further now that I'm 54 years old. And I continue to see this this uh, this pride played out in my life in a million ways. But if you've said yes to the humble Lord, and embarked on a path of trying to cultivate a spirit of humility. Here in Luke's Gospel, chapter 14, we learn something very foundational about Jesus, about how to confront this enemy. We learn that the guest-host process is essential, that I'm first a guest in the house of God before I'm a host or anything else. And as being a guest, I cultivate the spirit of humility. Well, let me just point out two ways that this passage helps us cultivate this spirit of humility. First, is through acceptance, we cease striving. I simply take the place that the host has given me. This first-century Jewish practice of people coming to a banquet and then being a, being ranked according to their social status has parallels in China, and I didn't know this until a few years ago. I went to many of these functions in, like, the baojian the the little room in a nice restaurant and there was always a nice little place setting there, usually facing the door, and I had no idea what that place setting was for, and sometimes I would go and just sit in that place, not realizing that it was different than other places, and one day I went and sat in that place, and another uh, foreigner that was with me said, actually, you know, that's either for the host or the guest of honor, so don't assume that you can go and sit in that place. Now, we all... We care enough about face to know that if we're going to lose face in such a way at a party, we won't sit at the honored place, right? But if we realize that God is really the host of life, and we apply that same principle not just to the Chinese banquet, but to all of life, don't we find that it's so challenging to take what the host gives us? When Paul wrote to the church at Rome... And explained how great God's grace was, how thorough, uh, how absolute and complete the grace of God was for them in Christ. The very first application point he gave them, Romans chapter 12, verse 3, was this. For by the grace, of, grace given to me, I say to every one among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. The very first point of application, don't think too much of ourselves. But in life, we always find ourselves trying to rearrange this banquet, to take control of the things that are the host's responsibility. So the very same thing Jesus said to the guests at the dinner, take the lowest place, is what he says to his disciples about leadership. The kingdom leader, even, is the furthest thing from a control freak. Learn to take the lowest place. Recognize that there's really only one leader, one host. That's the first principle in kingdom leadership. It's the first principle in all of life. Cease striving and know that I am God. My future is in the hands of the host. I might want to control it. I want to arrange things a little better than him. But God assigns my seat and he gives me my portion. So learning to be that guest in God's house, to give up control and just say yes to him, Is the very first step in this passage towards cultivating humility. Do I fear the future? Do I worry about job security or my children or what's going to happen in the Middle East? Can we turn on the television these days without worrying about the future of the human race? Do I worry that I'll have enough for the project or whether I'll ever get married or whether I'll have kids or I'll ever really like my spouse? Do I worry about the day of my death that'll, become, that'll come too early before I've completed my bucket list? Do I worry about other people, what they're doing, what, they're gonna, what, what they say, their attitudes, their actions? All these things that we have no control over in life, the future, the day of our death, other people's attitudes and actions, yet we keep trying to play the host in this life and control things that are completely outside of our jurisdiction, I found myself so annoyed this week when I, when I arrived in Beijing. I landed in Beijing. My, I was probably grumpy because the flight was three hours late. But it just seemed as soon as the wheels touched down on the runway, people sprang up out of their seats to get their luggage and rush off the plane. And I found myself just wanting to stand up with them and say, please sit down. The plane has not arrived yet. But then I realized I'm not the flight attendant. I'm not the pilot it's their jurisdiction and they actually have no control over these planes either (laughs) but i see the spirit of control in me so often how i wish i could control so much more about life if i was in charge of things there'd be no more text walkers there'd be no people driving on the sidewalks there'd be no noise after 10 p.m why did god not put me in charge of running things god's the host The other day I was praying with a guy in Starbucks in Hong Kong, one of my offices. I actually have many offices in Hong Kong. They're all Starbucks. (laughs) And I knew this guy 25 years ago when we were both missionaries in a certain part of the city, and we lived in that same area, and our families would eat meals in each other's homes, and then he went to Australia to pursue a ministry assignment there, and we lost touch for about 25 years until six weeks ago. And in those 25 years, his wife had left him. He's on questionable terms with his children, totally not involved in church ministry, but still coming to church. Absolutely alone, American guy, living in a small apartment, apartment in Hong Kong, trying to make ends meet. And we prayed together that morning after we talked for a couple hours, just praying with him. And as I started praying, I started reflecting on 25 years ago, knowing him and coming to this point 25 years later when we're old people almost old people and who had imagined that the host had these kinds of things prepared for his son to eat but he's still walking towards jesus he believes that his life is in the hands of a good god who's working things out for him Do you ever stop and ask yourself a question how in the world did i get here and then reflect back on the years and you think my goodness all the ways that, all the, the twists and turns my life has taken to get me to this point today, there's no way I could have planned this. Our lives are in the hands of a very good host. And Jesus says for, to us that this is really the first step towards cultivating a spirit of humility. Cease striving and know that I'm God. But then he gives us a second way to cultivate humility. And that's through compassion. So through acceptance we cease striving and through compassion we start loving. The whole makeup of that party Jesus went to after the synagogue service was wrong. The guests had it wrong because they were taking places that weren't assigned to them. The host had it wrong because he invited people that could only pay him back. The poor man with dropsy had no place at the party. The test of kingdom humility in our lives is who do we initiate relationship with? Jesus said that the proof we have truly understand the grace of God, we truly understand we've received the grace of God, is when we give it away to those who can't pay us back. In the Gospels, there's a very close connection between humility and hospitality. To welcome those who can give nothing in return, just like the host welcomes me to his party. I mean, what do we really have to give God in this great, lavish party of grace he's invited us to? But to pass on what he's given me proves that I have truly accepted his grace in humility. The way of the world is to let our friends in, and to build fences around our lives to keep others out. That's what the Pharisee did. God's way is to let everyone who's willing come, even his own enemies. One of the most influential teachers, I think, in the last few decades is Henry Nouwen. And uh, he was a professor at Yale. When he felt God calling him to lay down his prestigious position at Yale with some of the brightest people in the world... To devote the rest of his life to working with the mentally handicapped, and we might think he was squandering the gifts that God had given him, squandering his gifts of intellect and uh, the relationships that he'd formed in academia, but one who understands that all of life comes from God really has no problem using whatever life God has given him to dispense grace, and Nouwen wrote these words about hospitality. Hospitality means primarily the creation of free space where the stranger can enter and become a friend instead of an enemy. Hospitality is not to change people, but to offer them the space where change can take place. It is not to bring men and women over to our side, but to offer freedom not disturbed by dividing lines. Hospitality. It's not only about opening up our homes. It's about opening up our hearts. Now, most of us probably will not be called to that kind of radical life change that Henry Nouwen was called to. But all of us are called to hospitality as an expression of humility and as a way to cultivate humility. Jesus suggests to these people at this party, or he suggests to the host who had planned the party and by implication to all of us who were in his kingdom, To invite the poor, people who have nothing at all to pay us back, is not as much as about giving donations to the poor, as if they're objects, but about bringing them in, inviting them into our lives, to offer them a place at the table, engagement. And Jesus suggests through that we cultivate kingdom humility as his disciples. Are you willing to let strangers into your life, people unlike you, and to offer them space? That's what God did for us. He called us who were the farthest off to be near in Christ. May he humble us further by his grace so that we can freely show his hospitality to the lonely, the vulnerable all around us. Accept what he's given us and pass it on. Let's pray. So thank you, our God, for the gift of your grace that's come to us in many ways. And um, we sometimes make it convenient and receive it on, on our terms. So we just, this morning, as your people want to ask that you'll help us through that, and to that you'll continue to humble us through the realization that the very breath I breathe right now is from your hand. And you could take away my life at this very moment, and that everything I have today is just extra. Every little morsel I eat, every word that I can say, sound that I can listen to, every conversation I could have—it's all your grace, and mostly the hope that I have of eternity through the death and resurrection of your son. Thank you for the wonderful, lavish grace, God. It never ends from You. As we apply it in this world, give us wisdom and help us to pass on what you've given to us. And we ask that you will bless us to keep working on the pride, chipping away at that pride that so marked our lives and cultivate within us that spirit of humility for your kingdom, so unlike the world. We ask all this in the name of our humble Lord Jesus.